0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Ickra Ridge Community Church. I want to thank you for joining us today on the Monday broadcast. And it's a brand new week, a brand new opportunity to have a message from the Lord. And I'm so glad that God's mercies are new Every morning, great is his faithfulness. Well, I hope that you had a great weekend. Hope you had a chance to spend some time worshiping this weekend. And I want to let you know today, I've got a very important message that's going to take us today and into tomorrow. And I'm talking about 10 character behaviors of mature believers. And so we're going to cover hopefully five today and then five tomorrow. But I want you to know that your character is the most important thing that you have. Your reputation is what others think about you, but your character is who you really are. Now, we're living in a day and age that we are blessed with a lot of technology, and I'm so happy to be alive at this day and age, and I thank the Lord for all the technology that God has provided for us, and it just gives us another opportunity to get the gospel out wherever we go. Well, I was reading a blog not too long ago by Christianity Today magazine, and it's uh, actually a church planner by the name of Chris Ridgway, and he writes about this uh, digital voice assistant that is from Amazon, and you're familiar with, right? This digital assistant from Amazon is called Alexa, and so he talks about going into his back door, arms loaded down with bags, and he says, "'Alexa, turn on the lights.'" And as the command is given, uh, with a little desperation, the lights come on, and he says, Thanks, Alexa. Uh, You know, as I think about that, and I think about that whole scenario, uh, the lights blink on, and he avoids stumbling and falling. You know, his hands are loaded down with groceries, and he says thank you to Alexa. Now, as you think about where we are living today, I want you to really think about what is happening. And he writes in this blog, he says, I don't actually picture like a headphone FBI operative in a van outside. Uh, Yet once the lights came on, he says, I sometimes wonder who is listening in on my conversation. As a matter of fact, as of 2020, uh, there were 4.2 billion digital voice assistants being used in devices around the world. By 2024, They are believing, forecasters suggest, that the digital voice assistance will reach 8.4 billion. (laughs) 8.4 billion people will be listening or using digital voices. And that is unbelievable when you think about it. All these different voices. And we look at this and we wonder, is there really any privacy in our lives? Well, maybe the best starting place for a Christian view on privacy is to ask, Does anyone have privacy in the presence of an all-knowing God? In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve run among the trees of the garden, and they are filled with shame when they hear their Creator walking through the garden. God asked, who told you that you were naked? Before their transgression, before the curse, Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. Now they were wearing clothes and trying to hide from God. You see, it starts with Almighty God, to you all hearts are open. Uh, Somebody once said that secret sin here on the earth is open scandal in heaven. Now, if digital adopters worry that someone might be watching, believers know for certain that somebody is, and they know that someone can be trusted even when authorities cannot be. Life as a believer starts with the truth that God does hear all, God does see all. The glowing Alexa in our kitchen becomes a digital icon of a greater spiritual reality. Now, is this terrifying to you, or is this reassuring to you? Really, when you think about it, it's relational. If God is our refuge, if God is the one that cares for us, if God is the one that we go to, to be protected Uh, We enjoy His salvation. Salvation is a God who hears us, who hears the heartbreak in our voices. God is a God that hears everything that happens in our lives. So this morning, as we think about, or this afternoon when you're listening to this broadcast, as we think about what God is doing in our lives, I want to share with you 10 beliefs that every mature believer not only believes but also practices in their lives. Number one, I'm calling this the belief that all you need is love. Now, if you're familiar with the Beatles, uh, you are very familiar with that song uh, way back in the 60s, and, and it was one of the Beatles' most famous songs entitled, All You Need Is Love. During an interview with John Ledden, he talked about the lyrics of that song, All You Need Is Love, and he said, you know, those lyrics do not reflect my life. When I wrote them at that time, it did not reflect my life. He explained what he was trying to do was put together a song that he would pen that would hopefully give an understanding of what love is. Although he didn't experience it, although he did not understand it, he tried to put words to it the best that he could. Uh, He really revealed in his life that there's this struggle that was going on. He said, I had experienced, you know, the love for people kind of in gusts the love for things like trees and things like that, but I hadn't experienced what I was singing about, he revealed. It's like anything. He said, you sing about it first, you write about it first, and you find out about what you're talking about after. Well, when I think about the issue of love, all you really need to know is that God loves you. (laughs) But what does that mean? It seems in our culture that everybody understands God is love and love is God, but what does that mean? When I think about that word love found within the Bible, it is actually defined to us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. John says this, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever loved God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete or made perfect in us. You know, the Greek word for love is actually five different Greek words that are commonly used in the Bible. Uh, Some would say there's seven, uh, but really there's five prominent Greek words for the word love. And I want to recommend a book to you that will help you shed some light on this, and it's a book that was written by C.S. Lewis. And it's a book that is entitled The Four Loves. And you may be saying, I just thought you said there were five types of love. Well, in this book, he covers the major four loves in uh, the New Testament and throughout Scripture, but there's actually a fifth one. And and he talks about that fifth one in his books, but he focuses on the four, and that's what we're going to do today. And the fifth one that is kind of excluded is in Greek literature, and also used in the New Testament, uh, it's desire. For example, I desire something said, man, like I'd love to have a piece of chocolate cake or or I'd love to have a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, right? Those are things that we love and the Bible really doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about that because really in reality it's things that we like and we just attach the word love to it. And so that is the word epithumia in the Greek literature and it is found in the in the New Testament, but it's really translated desire, okay? So the four other major loves Beside that one is these four loves, okay? Let me give them to you one at a time. And this is probably not anything that's new to you as you're listening to the broadcast. But the first one we call Eros love. Eros love is this love that you have kind of a romantic love, a sensual love. It is the love that a husband and a wife share together, okay? Uh, So that's the first kind of love. Now, the second kind of love is Philea love or Philadelphia love, And this is what we would call brotherly love. Uh, This is the uniting of people together because you're a fellow human being. Uh, It doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your pedigree, your level of intelligence, it doesn't matter your nationality, none of that stuff really matters because as a brother, as a fellow human, uh, we have a common bond, right? We're part of the human race. And then the third type of love is called storgy. And this is the kind of love that you have for your family, right? And uh this is an amazing love. This is a God-given love. And uh you know, I'm so blessed that we now have uh, my wife and I now now have our first grandchild. You know, when James Robert the 3rd was born, I didn't have to get a book on, well, uh this is how you love your grandson. Uh, there was just something that was natural that I just loved that kid. And I love that kid, and it's just amazing how I have this love for him. Uh, it was given to me, right? Uh, it's kind of like a, a mother's love for her children and a, and a father's love for his family. Uh, these are, are what we'd call family love. You love your family, right? Sometimes you don't like them, uh, but you love your family. And, and then the, the fourth type of love is what's found most often in Scripture, and that is the agape love. God's love for all of humanity. And so John defines this kind of love saying that this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And when we are recipients of that kind of love, oh, when we receive the love of God, all that we really need, when we get this kind of love, we can't help ourselves but love somebody else. Uh, That's how we love other people. In 1 John 2.15, it reminds us that we're not to love the world or anything in the world. And now John, throughout uh, his epistle here in the Gospel of John, talks over and over and over again about not loving the world. Now, I thought we were supposed to love the people of the world. Well, we are. But we're not to love the world's system, the world's philosophy, Uh, We are to love the inhabitants of the world, the people of the world, but we're not to love the world system. John says, don't love the world or anything that is in the world, because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Now, I want you to know a character trait of every mature believer is that they are in love, in love with people, right? Because God loves me, I can love you. Because I'm unlovable and God loves me in spite of the fact that I'm unlovable, I can love you even though you're unlovable. And you can love me even though I'm not exactly lovable most of the time. You see, God loves us. And until we get this, we can never fully understand love. How do I know I have experienced God's love? Well, I love others. And His love is perfected in me. So the first point The first character trait is that you have love, and it's part of who you are. It's not something that you put on, it is something that is within you. Uh, Secondly, mature believers have joy. Henry Newell said this Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy, and we have to keep choosing it every single day. Uh, So let me submit to you something today. You are about as joyful as you want to be you choose joy joy is not something that is resulting from our circumstances joy is something that is a gift that is given to us In john 15:11 it says uh, jesus says i've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete your joy may be mature now as we look at john 15:11 this is a very famous passage on the vine and the branches, where Jesus says, if you abide in me, that is you follow the word of God, you will bear much fruit. But he says, then apart from me, you can't do anything. So Jesus is using the same connection point to tell us in essence, if you abide in him, you will have joy. And the joy is a complete joy or a mature joy that is not based on circumstances. You know, we here in America, it seems like we are losing our joy. You know, it is estimated that 16.2 million adults in the United States, that's about 6.7% of the population of adults, 16.2 million American adults have had at least one major depression or depressive disorder or episode this year, every year. You know, we think about depression. Often the the source of depression is hurt. We all have hurts that we carry around us, but when those hurts consume us and we become filled with disappointment over the normal occurrences in our lives, these hurts begin to rule us and they will rob us of our joy. Uh, They will lay claim on our lives, and the joy of what God has given us can be snuffed out because we are overwhelmed with our hurts. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of what God has given you can heal your greatest hurts. Listen, because God's joy is in me, I'm joyful and I'm as joyful as I want to be. How joyful is the Lord? I can be as joyful as Jesus if I want to be, or I can be an old sourpuss. You see, the choice is really mine. You know, as I use that little phrase, old sourpuss, I was wondering after I used that phrase because I've heard that phrase most of my life, you old sourpuss, right? I kept wondering where did that little word, uh, that phrase, old sourpuss, come from? Well, I did a little research on it, and this is just an extra bonus for you as you listen to the broadcast today. But I discovered the source of that little phrase, old sourpuss. It goes way back to 1937. Now, 1937, Porky Pig's Railroad was on the airways. An old black and white cartoon. And you remember Porky Pig if you're old like I am. And uh, and I was sharing this in church last Sunday, and I asked a lot of the younger people in our church, have you ever heard of Porky Pig? And they all said, no, we've never heard of Porky Pig. Uh, well, do a little Google research, okay? And, and type in Porky Pig's Railroad 1937 cartoon, and you discover that Porky Pig is the engineer, and he's running this train, and all of a sudden there's a cow lying down across the tracks. And so he stops his train and he gets out and he begins to encourage that cow to get off the track. And uh, that cow was being stubborn. Doesn't want to get off those railroad tracks. And, and Porky says, you know, it's cows like you that give belt milk a bad name. And then he calls this, this big four-legged animal. He says, you four-legged piece of hamburger. And he says, you know, you can't get sweet milk from a sourpuss like that. And so when you look at that phrase, you can't get sweet milk from a sourpuss like that. That's where that phrase came from. Now, when it comes to joy, you can have as much joy as you want. Uh, You can have the joy of the Lord, and that can be the strength of your life if you choose to be. I've discovered one of the best ways to keep myself filled with joy is putting Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's how you smell joy. Jesus first in my life. Other second in my life and putting myself last. Now we tend to do just the opposite, don't we? Now that guy kind of doesn't spell joy. That spells yoj. I don't know what word that is. Yoj. That makes no sense at all when you put yourself first, others second, and Jesus last. No, put Him first in your life. You discover that He will give you more joy than you know what to do with, and it'll overflow, and you'll have to share it with other people. That's where the joy of the Lord comes from. This relationship with the Lord. Well, so far we've talked about character traits of mature believers. Number one is they are filled with love. Not by nature are they loving people, but God's love abides in them because God loved them first. You know, you never truly know how to love somebody until you have experienced God's love. The second character trait that we talked about is the character trait of joy. Choosing to be filled with joy. And the third trait is this, peace. Do you remember that old hymn, I've got peace like a river? I got an email just a day or so ago, and somebody was really discouraged, and they were so defeated. Somebody very close to them had just passed away, and they said to me, I don't know how to respond. I have lost my peace in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this time of grieving for this loved one. I said, you know what? Jesus gave us a wonderful thing in the book of Philippians, written by the apostle Paul when he was incarcerated. I said, you know, whenever I get overwhelmed with a lack of peace, overwhelmed with anxiety, I spend a lot of time in Philippians chapter four. And I said, let me encourage you to focus on verses six and seven, where Paul as he's under a house arrest in this Roman house, as a prisoner says, listen, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds In Christ Jesus. Oh, what a blessing this passage of Scripture is to us. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead of being stressed out through every situation, offer up a prayer. Give your petition over to the Lord. That's what that word petition is. Go before the throne of God's grace and be honest with Him and say, listen, Lord, I am overcome with anxiety. Can you help me out? As you give that to Him, you wrap up that prayer with thanksgiving. And you thank him ahead of time for giving you that peace. And it says, present those requests to God. And then God does something that really blows your mind. And you think about being overwhelmed with anxiety. If you know somebody that's really anxious, maybe you battle anxiety yourself. And sometimes you get really frustrated because you say, I really shouldn't be anxious, but I'm battling anxiety. It seems like there is no understanding why I battle this anxiety. You know, as you think about God's peace, it is a peace that transcends all understanding. That doesn't make sense. That I can have peace in the midst of chaos? Absolutely. You see, because peace is not the absence of chaos, peace is the presence of God within my heart. That's where I get God's peace. And Paul says, God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace you can have even in the midst of conflict. There's an apologist by the name of Michael Ramsden. And one day he was elaborating on loving one's neighbor. And so he spoke to a colleague while he was visiting Asia and uh, decided to do a little experiment. And he says, I'm going to do an experiment. And I want to invite the people here in this audience in Asia to imagine a place of peace. And so what he invited them to do was to share their mental pictures of what peace looked like. So one person described it as a field of flowers. Another person described it as beautiful trees. And then another person spoke of snow-capped mountains and the incredible alpine landscape. Still another person described the scene of peace as a beautiful and a still lake. Well, maybe that's what you think about when you think about peace. After everyone described their mental pictures of peace, there was one thing they all had in common. Every one of these mental pictures of peace, every one of them did not have people in their pictures. Ramsey said, said, isn't that interesting? When asked to imagine peace, the first thing we do is eliminate everyone else. Now, let me tell you something. Peace is not the absence of people. It's not the absence of problems. Peace is found in prayer and petition. We're thanksgiving and presents our problems to the Lord, then we have that peace that passes all understanding. Listen, you can never get away from people. Matter of fact, we need one another. So if you're thinking that people are what is robbing you of your peace, I hate to tell you, you could be all alone, you still won't have peace, okay? My wife and I, sometimes we kid around and says, wouldn't it be great to get a cabin Out in the middle of nowhere, in the mountains somewhere, have no neighbors and just live kind of off the grid and nobody will bother us. And we always joke around about that. And uh, I says, you know, that might be good for a vacation, but I wouldn't want to dwell out there in the middle of nowhere because I realize that I need people and people need me. Oh, yeah, sometimes I need a break from people. Uh, Sometimes they will pluck your very last nerve. But God has brought people into our lives to rough off uh, and smooth off those rough edges in our lives. Listen, God's peace is in me. If God's peace is in me, I am anxious free. Well, let me give you the fourth one. Mature believers also have the character trait of learning self-control. Somebody said this, and I don't know who it is. I I would give them the credit if I knew who it was, but they said, if you will learn self-control... You can master anything. Now, can you imagine what you could accomplish if you could learn self-control? Paul wrote to young Titus, and he says, now, Titus, I, I want you to know that the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And this is what it teaches us. This grace of God that offers salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness no to worldly passions, and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. Self-control. When I think about self-control, I think about Jackie Robinson, the very first African-American man to have the opportunity to participate in the major leagues for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now, he was all about playing the game. He loved baseball. Uh, He was hand-selected by Branch Rickey, the president of the Dodger organization, and he was invited to cross the color line. Robinson promised that he would not fight back when others would ridicule him when he got up to bat. He says, I'm not going to fight back, uh, whether the competitors or the fans or the umpires or the broadcasters or anybody says things against me, even hotel managers. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to buy into their bait. So Robinson was able to have great self-control. At the end of his life, just before he passed, he asked that these words be etched on his tombstone. Uh, he's buried up in Brooklyn on a gravesite in Cypress Hills Cemetery. And his tombstone reads this, A life is not important except in the impact that it has on other lives. Well, I hope that you will learn self-control. Thank you for listening today. Join us tomorrow for part two on character traits of mature believers. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320, Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.